0: Satoshi Nakamoto is often credited for the first iteration of private digital money, but actually it was invented long before by David Chom. He was one of the first cryptographers ever to consider privacy and the digitization of money, and he's still to this day working extremely hard to guarantee that individuals have privacy in their transactions. So I think the most uh, important question is how does someone become a cryptographer?
1: (laughs) I find I'm still doing some really... Really groundbreaking new stuff that I'm super excited about. And uh, so it's, you know, it, once you've been doing it for a long time, it's kind of hard for other people to really have that kind of intuition and, and to catch up with you. Uh, but that's not to say that, you know, that I excel in like a lot of, there's a lot of very technical work you could do in a lot of different directions, you know, but I'm more on the kind of conceptual, uh, like coming up with new applications, new ways to use cryptography and stuff like that and new some breakthrough new kinds of cryptography I've, I've been doing that so uh, yeah you know it's like when you're a, b- a band and uh, you have the uh, you know famous uh, singles uh, from years ago and they always want you to play those and you're like no we've got new material you know so I've, I've got some really great new stuff and I'm, I'm super excited about it and yeah um, you know that. that you know when you're in in an academic field from very early stage you know there's the assumption by young people in the new entrance that somehow you know you just pick the low-hanging fruit and it was really easy and you're kind of a lightweight could be that that troubles me so i I strive to you know prove that i can do some really cool new stuff
0: i would think of it as the opposite obviously the technological challenge were challenges were and obstacles were much larger in the 1980s 1990s than they are in 2022 so well that's would certainly would be the opposite perception I, I mean yeah
1: yeah well it's it's you know it's um it, it sure there's very powerful tools and and stuff out and and uh, understanding of of the basics uh, is uh you know, the way it's taught and so on is is evolved. So it all seems a lot simpler and easier. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you can draw on that's you know already programmed and, and out there. Um, but the sort of you no know, just coming into you see cryptography was just a secret codes. Keeping confidential the messages as they were sent from one military base to another. That was it. to come into a world like that and say, hey, maybe we could use this. For electronic money with privacy, or voting, you know, and uh, and ultimately what, what I call multi-party computation. So that's a, a thing that I uh, developed. So this community here, people don't really recognize that yet uh, as, as such a fundamental uh, thing. But you've heard of Turing machines, so the uh, the idea of a multi-party computation. It's like the Turing machine of security. In other words, people the Turing thesis showed that you know any any computation could be done by a Turing machine. That was the big, the big thing. They're all equivalent in that sense. Um, so what what we showed was that any computation for security, any security problem can be solved uh, by a uh, by these uh, party computation by cryptography. So any security problem that makes sense that's that's digital can be solved so in other words if you know say a bunch of little kids trust like the grandparent they'll sit on its knee and tell him the secrets and he will tell them you know only the right things and always truth uh, then there's no real security issue with information in that context if that makes sense so everyone has a secure channel with a mutually trusted uh, device that only does the right thing and can be kept you know can keep the secrets confidential so uh what we showed back in the mid-'80s was that you could simulate such a mutually trusted computation with any number of participants uh, so uh, without having any physical trusted mechanism. So just by having your own computer and using cryptography, you could create a, uh, a simulated uh uh, multi-party computation a simulated computer that would be executing only the agreed software and would never leak any secrets and okay so we fully characterized it like you know uh, exactly what co- you know what are, you know, assumptions you need and all this and and uh, so for that i got this this uh, 30-year best theoretical computer science award uh earlier this year and it's a uh, it's kind of a big deal because the first time they ever gave it and it was given by all the program chairman for all the Stock conferences, which is like the, the big deal theoretical computer science conference. So kind of neat. Yeah
0: And it's an incredible honor and being in the crypto industry obviously everybody sort of points back to Bitcoin as the Fundamental yeah. birth event, but it's not yeah. you created digital cash e-cash Yeah, 20 30 years before that. So there had to be something compelling you to understand the importance of private money and digital money. So, what was it at that early time that was sort of your aha moment that caused you to head in that direction?
1: Well, you know, this in the late seventies, and I was at Berkeley as a graduate student, and I I started to realize that the informational world, uh, you know, was going to unfold, and that control over information about people would ultimately be a key thing uh, for democracy and uh, for, for you know, the future of civilization, really. And that it wasn't going to be easy for people to keep control over their own information, and that it was going to be a kind of a struggle. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it, you have to, there have to be some serious abuses before... And I wrote about this. You can read it. it says very prophetic, but... Uh, and, and I decided, you know, it's funny. You know, Berkeley in those days of the graduate students. I mean, I had my own, I had a private office. I actually shared an office with Eric Schmidt, but uh, we looked out of the cabinet, We had the best offices, but uh, just the two of us. But most grad students were in these like big cubicle areas, and there were like these posters. And one of them was, uh, you know, because most of the, a lot of the funding was from DARPA. I said, you know, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency a mission-oriented agency, you know. And so there was a lot of, there were other posters saying, don't work for the man, you know, do you know do this, you know. Because it was, you know, a lot of, it was 70s, it was yeah, Berkeley, <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, you know, so I looked at those DARPA posters and I thought, you know, I'm going to be a mission-oriented agency. My mission is to, you know, empower people to protect their own information. That's for the future of humanity. And for the last 40 years, that's what I've been doing.
0: And we've gotten farther away from that mission with time because of obviously big tech, government surveillance, and all those. Things. I think it's very easy to argue that our privacy is more at risk now than ever before.
1: Oh, it's yeah, it's it's absolutely true. And but you know, so I, sort of, I prophesized that it it was good, you know the pendulum would kind of swing like that. It would when once it got really outrageous, people would you know try to to to, to claw it back, and it would be a bit of a struggle. Uh, but you're absolutely right. We I believe we are really a, it is. It, we are at a critical inflection point uh at a critical juncture in the history of civilization and you know you can say oh everyone always thinks that over you know over but it, but check this out at De, you know devos does a survey of the participants every year uh what do they think the top 10 existential dangers for the world are you know and this year it's none of the the 10 that have been on there for like decades basically you know moving around a little bit uh, one top top place, a new entrant, came out of nowhere. Uh, it's it's called uh, social fragmentation. Eighty percent of people chose it as the first, the biggest danger, just out of nowhere. I mean, that's that. I think that that's significant. And public opinion surveys um, showed. You know, a serious survey, 2,500, 1,500 people in the last couple of years, you know, in the last year, they show that uh, 70% of people think that the problem with Internet, you know, or Web 2, we could call it, but whatever you want to call it, Web, is uh, the lack of privacy and the top three things, you know, uh, lack of control over information about yourselves. And, you know, when when something is that broadly um, uh, felt, Uh, I think, you know, it's expressing the wisdom of the crowd, right? That is a, um, uh, you know, it's a powerful indication that people are aware of the, you know, Cambridge Analytica, the Snowden, stuff, all that stuff. It's just they have nowhere to go. There's no real way to vote with their feet on those issues. But, you know, Web3 maybe is going to provide them a a, a way to uh, move somewhere that that does respect... uh, uh, their privacy, and actually, um, you know, I can talk about this all day, and I don't know if you please do. Well- <laughs> <laughs> you make my job am pretty comfortable you do. here, but uh, you know, the you see, for democracy, that there there are really three key privacy aspects, and in fact, you always have to consider all three aspects because if you just provide. Solve one of these problems, people feel all uninhibited, and they can be actually surveilled pretty effectively using weaknesses in the others. So you really have to provide a a, a comprehensive solution to communication, privacy, and that's not just the confidentiality of message content, right? It's also who you talk to and when, the so-called traffic analysis data or uh, metadata. Uh, Then there's payments, so, you know, who you pay and who pays you, that's, uh, that could unravel everything in many cases. And for democracy, of course, it's important that you can, like, subscribe to certain news sources. A, a journalist can actually get paid, or you could actually be a journalist and get paid. And, and so, uh, and the third uh, area is type of privacy is r- related to information about your interactions with, like, organizations and institutions, So all the information they collect about you based on your identity, that's quite problematic. You know, as you know, the the media is full of scandal after scandal about how many tens of millions of Records were stolen and lost. And, you you know, you can only Even imagine... by how, our credit agencies, right? Yeah, every, every by the government. Yep. <laughs> just like the, you know, the, the classification uh, screening agency, you know, every, you know, every government agency, you know. But so you can only imagine how much other stuff is leaked out that, that you haven't heard about. Because uh, uh, what's done with that data, it's, once it's leaked out, you know, it's brokered and sold. And who knows where it all is and what's done with it. I mean, that's a a huge problem. And so the only way to address that kind of thing is to use what I've called the credential mechanism. So this is the third thing I propose. It also, uh, in the Scientific American article, you can read on my website, atron.com. You know, it's a way to basically turn the databases that organizations have about you inside out. So you have the data. But they've signed it. So they give you a thing saying, okay, you pay your insurance, you paid for this, you graduated from this, you know, you got these degrees, you have this, uh, achieve these things. And so you have these digital signatures uh, uh, on, on your credentials, let's say. And then when someone wants to know something about you, they ask you. And if you want to answer it, you can prove the answer is correct. Just better than what we have today, right? Uh, sharing without sharing, without sharing any, without You're yeah, without sharing anything except that the answer is correct. So, like, okay, I am a, at least eighteen. I am allowed to drive in this state and drink whatever, and you know, similar so sure. to zero knowledge proof. It is a neuro, right. zero knowledge proof. Yeah. So that's something I, I, you know, I worked on back in the day. You know, we have minimum disclosures, zero knowledge. Those, were the, the, those are dual models, and I, I propose the the, uh, the more general result at the same time that. Other people propose the zero knowledge model, but it's minimum disclosure. Anyway, so it's yeah, so it's, it's yeah, it's like you could do a zero knowledge proof this way we understand to today of uh, credentials that you receive from organizations. But you know, it's 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 it. it there's a little more to it because have, they have to all be linked to your identity, and then there's this new issue which uh, we're going to be. Uh, you'll hear a lot more about called inalienable identity. There's not much public about it at this moment. But that's something I've come up with that uh, basically means that you can always prove that it was that you have full access to all of your credential information, even if someone takes all your keys, either by force or you know uh, accidentally or or bribery or whatever. So people are always responsible for all their own uh, credentials, and that's. Inalienable privacy, because otherwise you can become like a digital slave, right? Or indigenous digital server or something like that. And that, or government agents, they take over people's identities and, and masquerade as them uh, today. This is a it's done in certain situations that it's you know it's very uh, uh, debasing for uh, democracy. So this, so it, it turns out, if you want to have, uh, like, if, if you want to, if democracy is going to survive, it really needs to. Uh, have a slightly uh more uh effective and accessible mechanism. So people have to be able to vote without going to booths. Because they can to vote a lot of different things. And with sample voting stuff I partnered that we actually ran at this uh here at Consensus, the seventh of state election you can read about it on my website, but it, it, it it's uh it's it there's some powerful new kinds of voting, but you know, you you can't you can't do it in the old fashioned way with booths. So if you want to vote from from remotely from home uh, without the possibility that someone could buy your vote or coerce you, then you need this inalienable uh, identity, it turns out. And if you, so if there's a lot of good um, uses for it. So uh, that's, um, you know, there hasn't been any real improvement in identity technology in many decades. Uh, and it, you know, it figures into a lot of, it's a lot of the inconvenience of being in in, in the crypto space, you know. With oh, all for this. sure. <laughs> so <laughs> really cool new way to, solve it, in a, It solves a stronger property that, um, you know, is really what you want and that enables uh, real participation in the, in the, in the all digital world. So that's a, a thing I've, uh, I'm working on as well.
0: It feels like the cat is so far out of the bag with our privacy and big tech that maybe we can never corral it and put it back in. Is this a solvable problem at this point?
1: Well, Scott, I'm glad that you asked that. Um, no, well, here at Consensus, we announced uh, a what I believe is a really effective solution to this problem. And I, I can tell you about uh, first what we have done to date, and then I can tell you about the announcement, because I think that one builds on the other. Is that true? Sure, of course. So, uh, earlier this year, we launched the XX Messenger, which is a A very basic messaging app, you know, with group chat and full-featured messaging app that runs on Android and iOS. Uh, It's a clean, simple-to-use interface, and it is unique in two ways. Um, One is that the confidentiality of message content, you know, from end-to-end is protected against quantum computers, and no other messenger has that. So we announced it, and a lot of media picked it up. and thought, oh, this is very interesting. But we said, but it also has metadata shredding. So who you talk to and when, the social graph, your contacts, they never leave your phone. This is also part of the XX Messenger. And that sort of didn't really register with most people. That's a a new kind of a notion. Um, So since then, I was really surprised that none of the other messengers... Upped the earlier uh, you know, uh, took the challenge and and had quantum resistant uh, cryptography for the message content even though that's their big claim to fame you oh, they're always talking about oh we have strong end-to-end encryption you know facebook has said that about the, and all the uh, you know this is what messengers have been their big claim to fame that's why they drew users from other messengers right because they had strong end-to-end but they they never even upgraded to the quantum. So the U.S. government is using mandated quantum-resistant security. For the the has not done it, but the the metadata shredding is something no, no one has uh, actually um, uh, offered, and that is is key. You see, one of the things I learned back uh, when I was at Berkeley is that military, you know, they like tapping people's phones, listening in, and stuff. But that's a lot of work, and people might mislead them. You know, and talking code and and so on and so forth. So, what's uh, much more effective is just figuring out who talks to who and when. You can learn everything you need to know from that and the social graphs. That's the real valuable thing. So, um, that you know, there's just a lot of misdirection. People say, "Oh, look, don't don't think about metadata shredding, You know, just focus on strong encryption." But now it's revealed that how fake that is because they they haven't even up. The the, uh, the, the the so the XX messenger has uh, you know kind of leave the phone metadata is shredding every message goes through five randomly chosen nodes around the world we have like five hundred nodes running on the main net you know and the, and they shuffle the message with a batch of thousand and all this and so no one can see who is talking to whom and when and that's very important um, and so you know our community has given us advice about the the user experience and we've had all these. We've, we've you know have ten videos and all the little uh, upgrades. And all so now we've really refined it, and we've it's feature, it's been feature complete for quite a while, and so it's quite it's in quite good shape. Um, and so, in fact, that that latest that UX the, the revised UX is just released this week. But here at, at Consensus, what we announced is the Elixir plat- Privacy Platform. And that takes just what is just a, a plain vanilla messenger, you know, and it, it turns it into a broad spectrum privacy uh, offering that's accessible to the general public. Because the messenger is anyone could use, it's like any other messenger. And now with this platform, you can, let's say you want to search for something, but you don't want to get ads about it, or you don't want anyone to know you're searching. You could have private search you, if you uh, want to, um, you know, participate in in Twitter, say, but not have it be traced to you, or you want to, uh, uh, you know, you, you have a like a public health a health issue, or, or, you know, like uh, it's it's going to be a big issue, right, with reproductive right. rights, you know, you want to inquire, but you don't want anyone to know, that you're, you know, so, uh, but that's it's important that you understand your options and you don't do anything wrong. So we have like a way to, you know, get FAQs and then you can connect to the right help uh, centers, uh, legacy help centers for a whole range of, of, um, of kinds of help. So we call that, uh, shielded help. And then we have, uh, you know, social media has, uh, the public now is aware of it really just contributed to or caused the, you know, the, the, the fractionation and the, 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 you know, the discord that we have, uh, that that's threatening um, uh, society now by kind of incentivizing people to, you know, wrangle with each other or whatever. Is that the right word? So um, we have social media offerings on the platform that are, you know, that of course no you know, you you participate synonymously using your, your identity in the XX Messenger system. So um, or, for example, in the crypto space, you know, we often have to send, like, little payments to see if we really got the keys right, all you know, this funny stuff. The test payment. Test payments. <laughs> it's kind of silly, you know, there's a lot of weird ways to do it. None of it is really that secure. But here, you know, you have this infrastructure already in place. secure. You have these secure relationships with your associates, so you can, you, you know, you don't have to do that. Uh, so we have, uh, like, so for instance, another part of the business, we have, you know, so like any wallet and go through the messenger to, like, uh, any any cryptocurrency. Uh, so, but those transactions are private now, so you can make any cryptocurrency private, but moreover, the, uh, let's say the, the payment requests and other other messages related to payments are part of the message stream, but they're digitally signed, so they appear in a different color, but they're in your list of messages. So if you like double click on them, hard as whatever, uh, you'll you get the digital signature of that copy to the, the clipboard. So you have like a proof that you requested or you sent an invoice or that they did say they paid you or uh, whatever. And you don't, but you don't have to put that kind of stuff in your personal language. Right. You just send it as a form. But it's it's integrated. But there's a whole, um, uh, you know, there can be uh, various templates uh, for like, say, you're running a small business or, you know, your OTC desk or whatever that can be different sets of those messages that you might want to use uh, to integrate it with, within your messaging. and it's, So like, let's say, with, you know, you're in a group chat with your friends, family, and you say, well, hey, you know, uh, I want to share these keys with you guys because, you know, maybe something, you know, I'm going on vacation or whatever. Going away. Yeah, and so like, let's say there's uh, seven people in this chat, right? My, my buddy's well, uh, any five of you get together, you know, you can get the keys. So here, boom, done. And, 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 and they have it so... Uh, but all the infrastructure is there for this, you know. Um, so uh, you know, you have heard about like uh, the idea that you could play poker securely online with cryptography. That's we've known that for for decades, but they ha- actually have it all set up in the infrastructure, so that it really is secure. Uh, that's that's uh, you know, for any kind of games like that. It's it's you know, from coin flipping all the way to you know, uh, like making book you know in the office or whatever. Um, and so there's, a whole, so there's a whole bunch, you know, and we try to categorize these mini apps, and uh, we have seven categories, and they, you know, each category looks, looks pretty promising, but then even just drilling down into one app, you see that it's kind of, it's, there's a lot of opportunity there. And so we've totally opened this up. So we're, we're giving, you know, the, our, the, the Community Foundation is, uh, not, not, not the network, but the Community Foundation is giving the grants for people to, you know, make the, the 20 mini apps that we've detailed. But uh, we are also giving uh, grants if people come up with better things or different things too, and and they can also just do whatever they want because all the APIs are are public. So, you know, it's it by providing this messenger, and then uh, that anyone can use, and then making it so that you see these these mini apps. They're just like it's like a little mini desktop, like WeChat, you know, uh, in China. You know, you see the icons for the other. Uh, for the mini-apps, the mini-app of the day, you know, feature mini-apps, and you could choose Find One, and you click on that icon, and then it'll download it automatically from the App Store for you, install it, and it'll be one of your mini-apps that's linked to the messenger, and you can just activate it when you want to use it. So you you get the kind of like smorgasbord, you know, bundling economics, right? There's a whole range of these. You might not use any of them much of the time, but just knowing that you have them all is already, uh, you know, uh, It's valuable for people, and it's a a super exciting thing. And I think that's a, you know, if you look at the the world today, I mean, there's really like five main platform businesses, and I thought, this is not really a great thing, right? (laughs) So Eric Schmidt, I mentioned earlier, was kind of pretty instrumental in one of those, but there's, you know, we have Amazon and so on. But they've they've all basically, uh, you know, flourished by first creating a killer app, something that people really want to use, and then using the, 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 the eyeballs from that to uh Enable it. What's, what's technically referred to sort of the business speak is a double-sided business model, multi-sided business model. I really. I would say
0: they've used it to gather all of our
1: data. Well, that, that's <laughs> that too. But they didn't do it. They weren't. They couldn't do it themselves. Right. They let other people help them. So on Amazon, a lot of what you buy, it's not really from Amazon. They, they, you know, in the same. For all these, yeah, and the same thing with Facebook. They said, oh, other people can build stuff, and that really opened it up. So by to having a very clean, simple messenger that people can easily use, and then opening this up. Uh, it, we believe we've, we've created uh, a, a Web three uh, platform, which is the kind of Web three that people want. It has privacy, and it, it's uh, um, you know, WeChat has proven that's what people want is messaging integrated with payments, but now with all this other stuff, and it's accessible to the general public. So, to your question, I mean, it's, this is a way to expose people to, the, to the, the, the world that you know, where they own their own data, and they could they could in all kinds of contexts. So, uh, you know, including messaging and payments.
0: Well, that's incredibly exciting. It's nice to know that we actually do have a fighting chance here. I think so. <laughs> so thank you very yeah. much for sharing. Hey, it, for it a pleasure. Done. Pleasure. Yeah, really great. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't already left a rating or a review on Apple podcasts or Spotify, please do that now. Spotify just added ratings, So please go ahead and click that five star. I'll see you guys next time.